0: I think most of you are probably pretty good people, and pretty good people do pretty good things, and then they feel pretty good about themselves, don't they? I mean, just think back, something maybe the last week, if you weren't that great, maybe the last month, the last, the last, at some point that you can remember, you did something good for somebody else and made you feel good, correct? Can we, give me some nods if you agree. If you can't think of anything, do one of these, and I'll know who to talk to after church today. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think we are all pretty good people that do some pretty good things for other people, and therefore we feel pretty good about ourselves. Not all the time. We are far from perfect. But at the end of the day, we do want that feeling, don't we? We, we like to sign up for serve days and we, we like to do those things not because we really get much out of it. You talk to any of our volunteers that are at doors or in kids or students areas and, and it, yeah, they, they love it. They, they have an opportunity to do it. But you'll usually hear people say things like, well, man, I got a lot out of it. man I, just, I felt really good being able to help and able to give back. There's just something that connects good things we do to how we feel. And I think that's interesting because that's really how God wired us to be And that's not a Christian, non-Christian thing. When we do something good for someone else, there is this sense of, I'm doing something I should be doing. It's why a group of people, I mentioned them earlier, it's why a group of people give up a week of their work and their family life to go to North Carolina and help out with the disaster relief. This is our team that I mentioned earlier. They're on the ground now, left on Friday, drove to North Carolina, will be there for a week. it's, well, man, are you going to be able to save all of the Carolinas in a week? No. Well, then why did you go? Well, because I felt like I could do something, and it felt good to go and do something good for other people. It's why people that don't have a lot of time still find time to, to volunteer in other areas or to serve in other ways. It's, it's the, the generosity that we have. It's, there's something that's not always very tangible, but there's something about being pretty good doing something kind of good for other people that makes us feel maybe just a little bit better. Now the goal is not to make you feel better. That's not the goal. Let me tell you just straight up my goal by the end of this morning is to help you understand why. Why is that? Why are we drawn to doing good for other people and and what's the real result of that? What does that actually produce? Why even pursue that? Because it is harder it isn't, it's, there's a natural pull that way, but it does require us to go out of our way and do good for other people instead of just ourselves. So I want to help us answer the why is that important and what does it begin to produce. Before we do that, though, you have to at least see, is this what Jesus teaches? Is this what Jesus actually wants us to do? You don't have to turn there, but let me just read off a few scriptures. This one you've probably heard of before if you've been in church. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. Somebody came up, a teacher said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus' reply is pretty famous. He says this in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is, for the, first, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There it is. It's love God and it's love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it's not just there. I mean, you continue to go through the New Testament. Let me just read off a bunch of these. John 13, 34. Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. Look at this. And he says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So now he ties in his part to that. Hey, as I've given the example, Jesus says, As I have loved you, now I want you to love one another. He says almost the exact same thing later on. He says, My command is this love each other. Here it is again, as I have loved you. Again few verses later, this is my command, love each other. And you can keep going through Jesus' words and you're going to see this major theme. And we know it, but man, do we really pursue it? What does it truly look like to love others? Why do we love others? Why does Jesus make such a big deal about loving others? The Jews in the Old Testament had over 600 laws. Over 600 laws, and for us as Christians in the new covenant, meaning we are here after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and we're saved by grace, not by works in the law, and he decided out of everything he could tell us to focus on, out of everything he could tell us to do, out of everything that he could get us to focus our attention on, he focused on this one thing, love other people. As I have loved you, love other people. Love each other. It even says, "You'll the world will know that you are my followers if you love one another. It's this common theme, and we water it down so often. Well, it's just, yes, we know, love God, love others, but why? And what does it actually look like? What does it actually mean? That's what we want to unpack. Now, this I want you to look at. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 actually tells us how we're going to do that. So Jesus gives us that command, love one another, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this is my command to you, love one another. As I have loved you, now you go and love other people. And then the early church is like, yes, that's great, we're going to follow Jesus' words. What exactly does that mean again? How are we supposed to do that? And so here the Apostle Paul helps the early church understand how that works. And look at this with me, this is fascinating, and I hope this actually radically changes your perspective on how we love. Here's what Paul says. He says, now to each one, say each one. Good. We're going to come back to it. The manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. It's kind of wordy, kind of heady. Let me help you understand it. He says, now to, what was the word I had you say? The words? Each one. That's you. Now to each one. He's talking specifically to believers. Those that say, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm following you. I'm not perfect, but I want to be more and more like you. He's talking to those people. Paul tells the early church, he says, each of you, every single one of you, you and me, this includes each and every one of us, it says what? Each of, each of them, each of us, has now, look, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. So we have what Paul called the manifestation of the Spirit. What in the world does that mean? Well, nobody really wanted to know. A couple of you did. I'm glad you asked. Hypothetically, if you didn't know, I'm going to tell you what that means. Here's what that is. You ready? That he lives in you. That's a big deal. God Almighty, creator of the universe, lives in you. The manifestation of the spirit is in each one, is in you. And how does that come out? Well, if you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where this is taken from, you'll see that the word, and you've probably heard of this phrase before, spiritual gifts. In other words, things that God puts in you. His presence that is in you. Let that sink in for a second. The presence of God lives in each one, Paul says. That when you say yes to Jesus, he moves in, lives, dwells in you, and gives you what you need to do what? For what? It is given for the common good. So now each one, every believer, we are given God's spirit to live in us. With the purpose of the common good. Those spiritual gifts, the abilities, but it goes beyond just the talents and abilities that God has given you in the spiritual gifts. It's the fact that his spirit resides in you for the common good. You see, Jesus said, here's the command I'm giving you, love others. As I have loved you, love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the early church began asking the question, well, how are we supposed to do that? is what I'm in you. Follow me. Use what I'm putting in your very heart. That's how we begin to love others, and it's for the common good. It's for those around us. Simply stated, it's loving people. It's loving people, but here's why. It's for his glory, but also the good of others. We are to love people, love others, love the people around us, for these two purposes, for his glory, to point to Jesus, it's not so that we get known, it's not for our accolades, not for our recognition, for our increased status, it's for his glory, but for the good of others, the benefit of others. And truly, love is to meet needs, which, man, the most tangible way to help and meet needs is to serve. When Jesus said, love others as I have loved you, I've given you the example, he's saying the way that I have served others, the way that I have sacrificed for you, he said, that's how I want you to love one another. See, it's easy for us to, especially in our culture, to vocalize love, but how it's actually seen, how it's actually portrayed, how love is actually shown is through these moments or this life, these acts of serving. And let me just make this really clear. It's not just when you sign up for this volunteer opportunity or you go to this community event. It becomes all of us. Remember, the Spirit lives in us. So this is a constant outflow of God's love. We receive it and then it goes out in the form of serving others. That's what Paul was trying to help the early church understand, trying to take this one command. I mean, understand, Jesus really gave one command, love other people says, love the Lord your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then over and, over and over and over and over and over and over again, he said, as I have loved, now you love others. So the early church, after Jesus rises from the dead, goes up to heaven, then the early church is like, that's an awesome, easy command. I'm glad we don't have 613, but we only have one. But I'm not sure how to do that now. <laughs> they were stuck on that one command. And so Paul says, let me help you unpack that. Each and every one of you has been given the Spirit of God live in you for the common good in other words look around you what has God given you who has God placed around you and how can you serve them if you've got your Bibles head to John chapter 2 I want you to see how this played out early 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 on in Jesus's ministry and in fact it even you're gonna hear him say this he's like it's not even my time to really begin yet so we're on the very beginning even pre-Jesus ministry We're going to see how this begins to play out, how he is giving us this example of serving, gives opportunities to serve and to love. But again, don't miss that last part that Paul says, for the common, what was it? Good, for the common good. Not so you all feel good at the end of the day. That's a nice byproduct and benefit, but it's for others. So here's the story. John chapter 2, starting verse 1, here's what's happening. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, which is a big problem back in those days especially, I'm sure that's never a problem in our day and age, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Here's Jesus' response. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet Come. Now pause there for a second. Jesus' response is interesting here. Wait, wait, isn't this the Jesus that, that said love and said to serve and is commanding us to do as he has done? But what I love is Jesus is giving the excuse that we all give. Why are you involving me? Not my problem, in other words, and now's not a good time. <laughs> I love that. Jesus is leaning into our humanity. To show us this moment, right? It's going to require, if Jesus helps, it's going to require him to go out of his way. And there is never a good time to go out of your way for somebody else, ever. You never look at your day and you're like, hey, now is a perfect time for me to stop what I'm doing and go help somebody else. Right now is perfect. You guys remember what it's like to be bored? Do you remember those days? Some of you have forgotten. Let's think back. Dream with me for a moment. Let's just live in the world of hypothetical, of what it used to be like to be bored. My kids say that all the time. I'm bored, and I'm like, oh, I so want that. (laughs) I miss that. And the words of my parents come to the front of my mind where I would tell them when I was a kid, Mom, Dad, I'm bored. And they would look with this almost teary look in their eyes of, of hope of what it might be like to be bored once again. And then they would look at me and say, One day, Brian, you will wish you were bored like you are now. We don't have that anymore, do we? No, we are never bored. You can't even say the word. No, we have so many things going on where this idea of stopping what you're doing, what you're responsible for, what must get done, the tyranny of the urgent right now, so that we can go out of our way for somebody else seems foreign and unobtainable. Jesus leans into it. Why are you involving me? This isn't my problem. I'm just here as a guest. That's their problem. This is their wedding. And we love saying that one, don't we? (laughs) Their problem. Why are you involving me? And, And even if you are involving me, now's not a good time. We always have reasons. To say no, Jesus leaned into those for a great example. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In other words, his mom said, I don't even need your excuse. I know what you're going to do, Jesus. You're the son of God. I know you're going to help at the end of the day. Doesn't even acknowledge his replies. Verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. So these are big. These are large, large jugs. And there were six of them. And look at what he says. He says to the servants, verse seven, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, then he give them, gave them instructions. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, think through exactly what Jesus is doing here. He noticed there's servants around. Notice these large jugs that were empty. And he looks at servants. And what was the, the ask Jesus made of the servants? Talk to me. What did he say? Go and do what? Filled them up. He looks at the servants and he says, Will you just fill these up with water? And they say, I I guess so. They fill them in, probably took a while. I mean, you're talking large jugs with water and they had to carry water in and it probably took them a little bit. But let's be honest, it's not that difficult of a task. They filled them up and then Jesus said, Now just go and give the master of the banquet a drink. Go and give the master of the banquet a drink and look at what happens next. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Here's the key part. If you're taking notes, write this phrase down, this sentence down. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Nobody knew how that happened, or even what had happened. No one in the party knew that a miracle had just taken place except for who? The servants. Oh, please don't miss that. Nobody knew a miracle had just taken place except for the servants. You want to see more miracles in your life and in the world around you? Serve more. You want to see God do more miracles? Serve the people around you. Because that's where God is moving. That's where God is working. If a servant said, mm, no thanks, that job is beneath me, I'm going to go somewhere else, that servant would not have seen the miracle that happened. If they would have told Jesus, you're crazy, that doesn't make any sense, we don't, we don't even answer to you, they would not have seen the miracle. The fact that no one realized what had happened except the servants gives great insight into who Jesus is asking. He's asking servants, will you come alongside me? Let's see what's going to happen next. He calls servants together. The bride, the groom, the master of the banquet, any of the other guests. No one knew what had happened except for the servants. So here's what happens next. So they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn from the water, they knew. Look at what happens next. Then he called the bridegroom aside. And he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests that had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Now that doesn't seem very fair, does it? Who's getting the recognition? The bridegroom. And you've got the servants and Jesus over here, like um, that was actually me. But no, the master of the banquet, when he tastes the wine, he couldn't believe it. So he pulls the bridegroom aside and gives him a huge thanks of gratitude, recognizing him. You are above. You went above and beyond. I can't believe you did what you did. Notice the bridegroom. We have no record of him saying, "Actually, that wasn't me." He probably just said, "Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate that." Verse 11, when Jesus, what Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed, here it is, look, his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. Remember, we love for his glory and for the good of others. His glory and the good of others. See, what Jesus could have done when his mother came to him and said, Jesus, the, the, the wedding party is out of wine. Jesus could have said, no problem. I got this. All right, everybody, stop what you're doing. Stop the dance. And stop the music. Come gather around. Gather around right here. Right here. Right here. All right, everybody. You ready? Hold up your glasses. Ready? Here we go. On the count of three. One, two, three. Now drink. And everybody would have given him a big round of applause, and it would have been Jesus, Jesus. It would have been great. And then you have somebody in the back, and I have white wine instead. No, I'd rather have a cab. And he's just pointing, and he's giving them what they want. He would have been the talk of the town. It would have been the best miracle ever. People would have been saved because of that moment, right? No. What does he do? He stays anonymous, doesn't he? He quietly gathers who? Who was it again? The servants. He gathers the servants. He says, I have a job for you. And it's going to seem like it's a a no-big-deal job. It's going to feel like you're not really doing anything. I just need you to fill up some jars of water. That's it. Can you just fill up some jars of water for me? So quietly, these servants go and fill up these six large 30-ish gallon jars of water. And they are on the front row of Jesus' first miracle. No recognition. No acknowledgement just they witnessed his glory and something that Jesus did for the good of others, for a, a wedding party. See, throughout the, the rest of Jesus' ministry, we get to, 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 through the scriptures, witness great acts of good through healings and Jesus raising people from the dead, feeding thousands of people because they were hungry, cleansing lepers who were sick. I mean, tons of these wonderful For the good healings and miracles. I love that Jesus' first miracle that we have recorded is to help somebody that ran out of wine. It was not a life or death situation, it was simply to help in that moment. And nobody else knew except the servants. And by the end of the story, we see that his disciples had witnessed it as well for his glory and also the good of others. We tend to take that one command Jesus gives us, and we overcomplicate it, and we add so many other excuses to it. My goal is to make that very, very simple for us. Loving people is helping people. Loving people is serving other people. And sure, we can always use the same two phrases Jesus first threw out of, "Why involve me? It's not my problem." They got them into this. They need to learn how to get themselves out of this. Somebody else who's maybe better equipped or has more of the money. They have more time. They don't have three kids at home. Maybe they'll take care of it. I've done my part. I've, done, I've helped over here. I've volunteered there. I served that person. And It's somebody else that's not. We always have those excuses and say, it's not my problem. I don't have the time. Now's not a good time. Maybe later. Let me get through this season of life, and then I'll be able to. But Jesus shows early on in his ministry That's how we love. We love others by serving others. And quite honestly, serving is very simple. Serving is simple. Leave the miracles to Jesus. The servants were asked to do one task, technically two. Fill the jars up with water, and then give the master of the banquet something to drink. That's it. And for each and every one of us, we look at the end result or the hoped result And say, oh, there's no way we're going to be able to accomplish that. There's no way we can really help. There's no way that we can really fix it. I I don't see what little me could do in that situation. Leave that part to Jesus. What is the simple moment of serving that you can do? Every single one of us could fill those jars with water. It's only Jesus that's going to turn it into wine. So you've got to make that real in your own life. What are the jars of water around you? That Jesus like, would you just fill up some jars of water? Let me take care of the rest. Just fill up the jars of water and I'll do the miracle out of it. Don't put the pressure on you. In fact, the pressure for the miracle is all on Jesus. Our job. What did he say over and over and over again? Love God and love others. As I have loved you, now you go and love others. This is my command. I'm giving you a new command out of all the other ones. Now it's going to be this one. Love other people. Simple, yet unbelievably significant. And that's what I would hope for you. That if you are a believer in Jesus, a follower of Him, that your life would be that one thing. That it would be loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That you would love other people. And that we would stop overcomplicating it. There's no disclaimers here. Well, love other people as long as. Love other people that. No, we just just Love other people. Well pastor doesn't that put us in danger of being walked all over? Sure does. Can't imagine being walked over more than what Jesus had to experience on the cross though. Yeah, love love has a cost, no doubt. Serving has a cost, no doubt. That's why Jesus said love others the way that I have loved them. I hope that would be the beat of your heart that we would love God and we would not overcomplicate the loving others peace. So here's here's how this can look. Now I I'm going to try to do a miracle in front of you. I told you that we can't do miracles. Are you ready? Did you bring your wine glasses for church? I can't believe you didn't bring them. We've got a couple. Good job. All right. What I have before you and some of you aren't going to believe me. You might not even know that this actually existed. This is unsweet tea. Did you know that's a thing? <laughs> Are you aware? You, you know that you can actually get unsweetened tea. You're, some of you are just looking at me like, I can't believe that happens. People drink this? Supposedly, supposedly. I've only met a few. But when Becky and I, when we lived in California prior to moving here, that was, that was a little bit of a shocker when we, because we're not from California, and we go out there and we'd go to a restaurant, even a barbecue restaurant, and you'd order a sweet tea, and they would bring you this, and you would taste it, and you would gag, Like you would just have to spit it out all over the waiter. What is this filth you have given me? And they were taken back because I said, well, I asked for sweet tea. They said, we gave you tea. I said, there's no way this is sweet. They said, well, sir, there's sugar on your table. And I took a moment. And I caught my breath and my composure and my Christianity, along with my sanity, chose my following words carefully and looked at the waiter and the waitress and said, please help me understand what you're, you're truly telling me. You're telling me you gave me unsweet tea on purpose, and you're telling me to just use the sugar packet on my table to put in it. He said, well, yeah, you asked for sweet tea. Sweet tea. I said, that's not the way that this is supposed to work. But for about eight years, that's what we lived with. So that was what we would do. We would, we would have our unsweet tea. I can't tell you how much of a joy it's been to live in Georgia the last four years. And so we would say, all right, Tea, unsweet, we've got to make it sweet. So here's the secret ingredient, right? You'd have to put sugar in it. Nah, we live in Georgia. Come on now. (laughs) There you go. Sugar tea is more like it. Now here's what you'll find that happens, right? If you make tea this way, which I do not recommend, you'll notice that you still have unsweet tea, but what is all at the bottom? The sugar. The sugar. Now here's here's how I, I view us happening in relationship to Jesus. We say yes to Jesus. I love you. We do this whole love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and he moves into our life. He radically changes everything. We experience more life change. Yet not all of us have changed yet. Right? We, we love God, but that loving others peace, I'm not so sure. I mean, I'm sure you've all, you have all experienced a, a bitter Christian, somebody who loves Jesus but hates people. Have you experienced them? Yes. We all know them, right? And usually that person, man, we are good at covering it up until you try to exit the parking lot on a Sunday morning, and then you see who the <laughs> loving people are. Get out of my way. I'm leaving church. You're like, what just happened? Right? It happens. I know. Ask our parking team. They're like, oh, yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> oh, Yeah. So there's a a trick to make this actually work. There's there's a magic trick, a miracle that has to happen so that you don't have this this just sugar that just sinks to the bottom. You don't have this bitter, nasty tea, but down here, I guess it's okay. The most important part of making sweet tea, what do we have to do to it? You've got to stir it up. You've got to stir it, stir it, stir it, stir it, stir it. And the more you stir it, the more that sugar goes into every molecule of that sweetness. (laughs) Every drop becomes what it's supposed to be. But then if you stop, oh, wait, 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 we got to, what do we have to do again? You got to keep stirring it. James calls this process, faith without works is dead. Same is so true in our life. Yes, love God. First and foremost, Jesus makes it very clear but love your neighbor as yourself. And to do that goes back to what we read out of 1 Corinthians. It's what we saw Jesus do out of John 2 with the The wedding dilemma, the wedding problem is you have to have movement. You have to have action. You have to keep stirring that love up in your heart. It has to be used. If you're not using it, what good is it? Use it instead of being useless. And it's not about proving your faith. No, works are not proving your faith. Works are showing your faith. You are living out your faith. The love that God has put in you, you're now giving to other people. Remember what Jesus said? Love others the way that I have loved you. Every time we interact with somebody else, may we have movement. Instead of sitting on what God has put in our heart, Him. Remember, He dwells in us. Instead of just sitting on the love that lives in us, may we do something with it. And here, please hear this. I don't care what it is. I don't. You're welcome to volunteer here at church or not. The goal is not to get you to volunteer for Serve Week or to serve here at church. The goal is to get you to do exactly what Jesus said. As Christians, we try to become more and more like Him, to love other people. It's that simple, Church. It's that simple. May we not overcomplicate it. Love as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? It's a verse that many of us grew up memorizing, John three sixteen. We put it on the screen so you can see it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how he first loved us. That's what he did. You talk about movement. You talk about action. He did something for us. Now, I want to do something a little bit different. I want us to figure out what that looks like for each and every one of us. Jesus said, love others the way that I've loved you. He gave us a great example out of John chapter 2. Here, Even though I don't have time, even though it's not my time, it's not my problem, let me show you the Let me show the importance of serving and doing something as simple as filling up jars. As servants, what do we do as lovers of Jesus and servants of other people? Watch what we're going to do with that same verse. We're going to pull out everything that God did just for this exercise. We're going to pull out God's name. We're going to pull out what he did, that he sent his son, and why. And I want you to start making this real in your own life. So for you, put your name in there, so loved who? Somebody else's name in there. That he or she, what'd you do? So that. Let me give you an example. For Brian, that's me, so loved his wife Becky that he did the dishes without being asked. (laughs) Preach, I know. So that she could relax and enjoy some time off as a mom and a wife. For Brian so loved his kids that he traveled to and from the soccer field three times a week (laughs) so that my kids could learn to play. Four, fill in the blank, so loved. Please don't underestimate so loved. So loved that he or she what did you do, and why? May our lives follow the life of Jesus, that he so loved us, that he gave everything so that we could be with him forever. Jesus has made us our following him very simple. Church, how dare we complicate it. We love others for his glory, for the good of others. However, that looks, it's up to you. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for first and foremost showing us love constant love, unconditional love, true selfless and sacrificial love, a love that cannot be denied, that almost cannot even be understood or fully obtained. Oh, but God, but you love us so, so much. May we never get tired of hearing that phrase. May we never get tired of saying that phrase. And may we not neglect the power of your words as you command us how to live our lives, to love you and to love others the way that you have loved us. Oh, God, may that be the definition of our lives, loving you and loving our neighbor as ourselves. May we not overcomplicate it May we not give any more excuses. May we look at every moment with every person and ask the simple question, how can I serve them? Jesus, how would you love them? How would you serve them? And may I love them the same. No more disclaimers, no more excuses, no more ifs, ands, or buts, but we would love the way that you have loved us. And we would change the world because of it. So God, help us to love like you. Help us to never forget the love that you first gave us. If there's anybody in this room that has not taken that first step of loving you first and being loved by you first, God, I pray that your spirit does what only you can do. That you would move into their hearts like you tell us in 1 Corinthians. That you would move in and live in us and radically change us for the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen.